This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mark Nelson. The Cosmic Computer by H. Beam Piper. Chapter 19 When Sylvie returned from Storsenda, she had Flora with her. Khan's sister greeted him embarrassedly. Sylvie led both of them out of the crowd and over to the edge of the excavation. "'Go ahead, Flora,' she urged. "'Make up with Khan. It won't be any harder than making up with Wade was.' "'How did that happen, by the way?' Khan asked. "'Your girlfriend,' Flora said. "'She came to the house and practically forced me into a car and flew me into Storsenda.' and then made me keep quiet and listen while Wade told me the truth. "'I wasn't completely sure what the truth was myself till Wade opened up,' Sylvie admitted. "'I had a pretty good idea, though.' "'I always hated that Merlin thing,' Flora burst out. "'All those old men in Fozzie's office, dreaming about the wonderful things Merlin was going to do, with everything crumbling around them and everybody getting poorer every day.' and doing nothing, nothing. And when you were coming home, I was expecting you to tell them there was no Merlin, and go to work and do something for yourselves. But you didn't, and I couldn't see what you were trying to do. And then, when Wade joined you and father, I thought he was either helping you to put over some kind of a swindle, or else he'd started believing in Merlin himself. I should have seen what you were trying to do from the beginning." at least from when you talked them into cleaning the town up and fixing the escalators and getting the fountains going again. So the fountains weren't dusty any more. How's Mother taking things now? Flora looked distressed. She goes around wringing her hands. Honestly, I never saw anybody doing that outside a soap opera. Half the time she thinks you and Father are a pair of unprincipled scoundrels, and the other half she thinks you're going to let Merlin destroy the world. I'm beginning to be afraid of something like that myself. Huh? But Merlin's just a big fake, isn't it? You're using it to make these people do something they wouldn't do for themselves, aren't you? It started that way. What do you think all this is about? he asked, gesturing toward the excavation and the two giant mining machines, digging and blasting and pounding away at the rock. "'Well, to keep Kurt Fozzy and that crowd happy, I suppose. It seems like an awful waste of time, though.' "'I'm afraid it isn't. I'm afraid Merlin, or something just as bad, is down there. That's why I'm here instead of on Koshai.' I want to keep people like Fozzie from doing anything foolish with it when they find it. But there can't be a Merlin. I'm afraid there is. Not the sort of a Merlin Fozzie expects to find. That thing's too small for that. But there's something down there. The question of size bothered him. 
That drum-shaped superstructure couldn't even hold the personnel record machine they had found here, or the computers at Storsunda Stock Exchange. It could have been an intelligence evaluator, or an enemy intentions predictor. But it seemed small even for that. It would be something like a computer. That was as far as he was able to go. And it could be something completely outside the reach of his imagination. At the back of his mind, the suspicion grew that Carl Liebert knew exactly what it was. And he became more and more convinced that he had seen the self-styled preacher before. Finally, the whole top of the hundred-foot collapsium-covered structure was uncovered, and the excavation had been leveled out wide enough to accommodate all the massive paraphernalia of the collapsium-cutter. They put the thing onto contragravity again and brought her down in place. The work of lifting off the reactor and the converter and the rest of it, piece by piece, began. Finally, everything was set up. A dozen and a half of them were gathered in the room that had become their meeting place, after dinner. They were all too tired to start the cutting that night, and at the same time excited and anxious. They talked in disconnected snatches, and then somebody put on one of the telecast screens. A music program was just ending. There was a brief silence. And then a commentator appeared, identifying his news service. He spoke rapidly and breathlessly, his professional gravity cracking all over. "'The hypership city of Asgard from Aton has just come into telecast range,' he began. "'We have received an exclusive interworld news service story recently brought to Aton on the Pan-Federation spaceline ship Magellanic from Terra. News of revived interest in the Third Force computer, Merlin, having reached Terra by way of Odin, Representatives of Interworld News, to which this service subscribes, interviewed retired Force General Fox Travis, now living at the advanced age of 114 on Luna. General Travis, who commanded the Third Fleet Army Force here during the war, categorically denied that there had ever existed any supercomputer of the sort. We bring you now a recorded interview with General Travis, made on Luna. For an instant, Khan felt the room around him whirling dizzily, and then he caught hold of himself. Everybody else was shouting in sudden consternation, and then everybody was hushing everybody else and making twice as much noise. The screen flickered, the commentator vanished, and instead, seated in the deep cushioned chair, was the thin and frail old man with whom Khan had talked two years before and through an open segment of dome-roof behind him the full earth shone, the contents of the western hemisphere plainly distinguishable. A young woman in starchy nurse's white bent forward solicitously from beside the chair, handing him a small beaker from which he sipped some stimulant. He looked much as he had when Khan talked to him, but there was something missing. Oh, yes! the comparative youngster of seventy-some. Mike Shanley, my aide-de-camp on Poitem. Now he thinks he's my keeper. He wasn't in evidence, and he should be. Then Khan knew where and when he had seen the man who claimed to be a preacher named Carl Liebert. 
"'There is absolutely no truth in it, gentlemen,' Travis was saying. "'There never was any such computer. I only wish there had been. It would have shortened the war by years. We did, of course, use computers of all sorts, but they were all the conventional types used by business organizations.' The rest was lost in a new outburst of shouting. General Travis, in the screen, continued in dumb show. The only thing Khan could distinguish was Liebert's Shanley's voice, screaming, "'Can it be a lie? Is there no great computer?' Then Kurt Fawzi was pounding on the top of the desk and bellowing, "'Shut up! Listen!' "'Frankly, I'm surprised,' Travis was continuing. Young Maxwell talked to me, here, in this room, a couple of years ago. I told him then that nothing of the sort existed. If he's back on Poitem telling people there is, he's lying to them, and taking advantage of their credulity. There never was anything called Project Merlin." "'Ha! Who's a liar now?' Clemzarev shouted. "'Dolph, what did your people find in the library?' "'Why, that's right!' Professor Kelton exclaimed. "'My students did find a dozen references to Project Merlin. He couldn't be ignorant of anything like that.' "'This youth has been lying to us all along,' the old man with the beard cried, pointing an accusing finger at Khan. "'He has created false hopes. He has given us faith in a delusion. Why, he is the wickedest monster in human history!' "'Well, thank you, General Travis,' another voice from the screen-speaker was saying, the only calm voice in the room. "'That was a most excellent statement, sir. It should—' "'Con, you didn't tell us you'd talk to General Travis,' Morgan Gatworth was saying. "'Why didn't you?' "'Because I never believed anything he told me. "'You were in Kurt Fawzi's office the day I came home.' You know how shocked everybody was when I told you I hadn't been able to learn anything positive. Why should I repeat his lies and discourage everybody that much more? Why, he'd deny there was a Merlin if he was sitting on top of it, Khan declared. He wants the credit for winning the war, not for letting Merlin win it for him. I don't blame Khan, Klemzerov said. If he'd told us that then, some of us might have believed it. "'And look what we found,' Kurt Fawzi added, pointing at the ceiling. "'Is that Merlin up there, or isn't it?' "'That little thing!' Shanley cried scornfully. "'How could that be Merlin? I'm going to my chamber, to pray for forgiveness for this wretch!' He turned and started for the door. "'Stop him, Tom,' Con said, and Tom Brangwen put himself in front of the older man, gripping his right arm. Shanley tried, briefly, to resist. "'Seems to me you lost faith in Merlin awfully quick,' the former town marshal of Litchfield said. "'You knew there was a Merlin all along, and you never wanted us to find it.' Franz Veltrin, who'd been Liebert's most enthusiastic adherent, had also lost faith suddenly. He was shouting vituperation at the prophet of Merlin. "'Knock it off, Franz.' He was only doing his duty, Khan said. Weren't you, General Shanley? It took almost a minute before they stopped yelling for an explanation and allowed him to make one. 
he caught Clem Zarif's comment. Must be pretty hot if they have to send a general to handle it. I talked to Travis, yes. He gave me the same story he just repeated on that interview, Khan said, picking his way carefully between fact and fiction. After I went back to Montevideo, he and this aide of his must have been afraid I didn't believe it, which I didn't. When I was ready to graduate, I got this offer of an instructorship. That was a bribe to keep me on Terra and off Poitem. When I turned it down and took the Mazar home, Travis sent Shanley after me. He must have grown that beard and that pageboy bob on the way out. I suppose he contacted Murchison as soon as he landed. Wait a minute. He went to the communications screen and punched out a combination. A girl appeared and sing-songed, Barton Masara, Investigation and Protection. Con Maxwell here. We gave you some audio-visuals of a man with a white beard, alias Carl Liebert, he began. Just a sec, Mr. Maxwell. She spoke quickly into a handphone. The screen flickered and she was replaced by a hard-faced young man in dark clothes. Hello, Mr. Maxwell, Joe Massara. We haven't found anything on Liebert yet. Are any of the officers of the Andromeda where you can contact them? Let them see those audio-visuals. I'll bet that beard was grown aboard ship coming out from Terra. Bedlam broke out suddenly. Shanley, who had been standing passively, his right arm loosely grasped by Tom Brangwen, came down on Brangwen's instep with the heel of his left foot and hit Brangwen under the chin with the heel of his left palm. Wrenching his arm free, he started for the door. Sylvie Jackmott snatched a chair and threw it along the floor. It hit the fleeing man's ankles and brought him down. Half a dozen men piled on top of him, and Brangwen was yelling to them not to choke him to death till he could answer some questions. "'Hey, what's going on?' the detective agency man in the screen was asking. "'Need help? We'll start a car right away.' "'Everything's under control, thank you.' Masara hesitated for a moment. "'What's the dope on this statement that was on telecast a few minutes ago?' he asked. "'Travis doesn't want us to find Merlin. What you just heard was one of his people, planted here at Force Command. We're going to question him when we have time. But there isn't a word of truth in that statement you just heard on the Herald Guardian newscast. Merlin exists, and we've found it. We'll have it open inside of thirty hours at most.' That was the line he was going to take with everybody. As soon as he had Masara off the screen, he was punching the combination of his father's private screen at Interplanetary Building. It took five interminable minutes before Rodney Maxwell came on. He could hear Clem Zarif shouting orders into one of the inside communication screens. General turnout, everything on combat ready, guards to come at once to the office. How close are you to digging that thing out? his father asked as soon as he appeared. "'We're down to it. We can start cutting the collapsium any time now.' "'Start cutting it ten minutes ago,' his father told him. "'And don't leave Force Command till you have it open. How many men and vehicles does Clem have for defense? You'll need all of them in a couple of hours. Everybody here is stunned now. They'll come out of it inside an hour, and they'll come out fighting. You'd better come out here.' 
He turned, saw Jerry Revis helping hold Shanley in a chair, and shouted to him, "'Jerry! Turn out the workmen! Start cutting the can open right away!' He turned back to his father. Clem's just ordered all his force out. "'Are you coming here?' "'I can't. In about an hour, everything's going up with a bang. I have to be here to grab a few of the pieces.' You'll do a lot of good in jail, or on the end of a rope. Chance I have to take, his father replied. I think I'll have a couple of hours. If anybody from the press calls you, what are you going to tell them? Con repeated the line he had taken already. His father nodded. All right, I'll call you later, if I can. Just keep things going at your end. A dozen of Clem Zareff's men were crowding into the room. This man's under close arrest the old soldier was telling them. He is very important and very dangerous. Take him out somewhere, search him to the skin, take his clothes away from him and give him a robe. He's to be watched every second. Make sure he hasn't poison or other suicide means. He's to be questioned later. As soon as Rodney Maxwell was off the screen, there was a call signal. It was one of the news services, wanting a statement. I'll take it, Gatworth said, and began talking. This statement of General Travis's is completely false. There is a Merlin, and we've found it. They found something that might be good enough, Merlin, for the next thirty hours. That superstructure was just big enough for the manually operated parts of a computer like Merlin, the input and output, and the programming machines. Chapter 20 Clem Zareff's guardsmen were mercenaries. A little over a year ago they had, at best, been homeless drifters, and not a few had been outlaws. Now they were soldiers, well-fed, clothed, quartered, and equipped, and well and regularly paid. They had a good thing. They were willing to fight to keep it, Merlin or no Merlin. Con left them to their commander— he did gather the workmen for a short harangue, but that wasn't really necessary. They had a good thing, too, and most of them realized that they were working toward a better thing. They could be depended upon, too. They came crowding out and manned lifters. They got the heavy collapsium cutter maneuvered into place and the shielding down around the cutting head. After that, there were only four men who could work each in his own heavily shielded cabin. In spite of the shielding that covered the actual work, there was an awesome display of multicolored light. It was like being in the middle of an aurora borealis. What was going on where that tiny rotating beam of cosmic rays was grinding at the collapsium simply couldn't have been imagined. Khan would have liked to stay outside. He could not. Too many things were happening in too many places, and it was all coming in by screen. Rioting had broken out in Storsenda and a dozen other places. He saw, on a news screen, a mob raging in front of the executive palace. Yellow-shirted cybernarchists were battling with city police and planetary troops. Armageddonists and human supremacy leaguers were fighting both and one another. Above all the confused noise of shouting and shooting, an amplifier was braying, "'It's a lie! It's a lie! Merlin has been found!' Newsmen began arriving. 
Zeref's men had orders to pass them through the cordon that had been put up around Force Command, and they took up his time. It was worth it, though. They could tell him what was going on. J. Fitzwilliam Sturber called. Rodney Maxwell had been arrested, on a farrago of fraud charges. I don't know who he's supposed to have defrauded. The planetary government is the sole complainant. And bail was being illegally denied. Sturber's lawyerly soul was outraged, but he was grimly elated. You wait till things quiet down a little. We're going to start a false arrest suit. If you're alive to. Apparently Sturber hadn't thought of that. What do you think's going to happen when the stock exchange opens? It's going to be bad. But don't worry. Your father must have foreseen something like this. He gave me instructions, and instructed a few more people. He named some of the Tri-System Investments people and some of the bankers. We're going to try and brace the market as long as we can. Nobody who keeps his head is going to lose anything in the long run." Luther Chen Wong called from Port Carpenter on Koshai. He and Clyde Nichols and a young mathematics professor named Simon McQuart had been running the colony in Khan's absence, and since Eve's Jackmont had gone to space in the Ouroboros too. "'Well, they caught up with you,' he said. Evidently he had figured out what the search for Merlin was all about, too. "'What do we do about it?' "'Well, we are just before finding Merlin here. I hope we find it before things get too bad.' He told Luther the situation of the moment. "'Have you people started on another hypership yet?' "'We're getting organized, too.' I don't suppose it's advisable to send any more ships into Storacenda for a while. Are you sure this thing you found is Merlin? I don't know what it is. It's only big enough for the apparatus they need to operate a thing like Merlin. Yes, Luther, I'm sure we have found Merlin. Chen Wang looked at him curiously. I hope so. I can't think of anything else that can stop this business. Tom Brangwen was in the room when he turned from the screen. "'We searched Liebert's Shanley's rooms,' he said. "'We found a bomb. What kind of bomb? Vest pocket thermonuclear. He seems to have gotten the fissionables by taking apart a couple of light tactical missiles. The whole thing's packed inside a hundred-pound power cartridge case. It was in a traveling bag under his bed. And you know how it was to be fired?' with a regular forty-millimeter flare pistol welded into the end of the bomb. The flare powder had been taken out of the cartridge, and it had been reloaded with a big charge of rifle powder. I suppose it would blow one subcritical mass into another, but the only way he could have fired the bomb would have been by pulling the trigger. And blowing himself up along with it. He must have wanted Merlin destroyed pretty badly. Have you questioned him yet? Not yet. I wanted to tell you about it first. He looked at his watch. Only four hours had passed since the newscast. Why, that seemed like months ago now. All right, Tom. We'll go talk to him. Where's the colonel? Zareff was surrounded by a dozen screens, keeping in touch with the Lester Dawes and the gunboats and combat cars, and the gun positions with which he had ringed force command. 
It was only a little army, maybe, but he was a busy commander-in-chief. "'You take care of it. Tell me what you get from him. I can't leave now. There's a report of a number of aircraft approaching from the west now.' They found Judge Ledoux and Kurt Fawzi and Dolph Kelton, who were just sitting around wishing there was something to do to help. They gave Franz Veltrin and Sylvie Jackmott the job of keeping the representatives of the press amused. Then they went down to the room in which General Mike Shanley was held under guard. Shanley, wearing a bathrobe and nothing else, was lying on a cot, sleeping peacefully. Three of Zeref's men were sitting on chairs, watching him narrowly. "'All right, you can go,' Kahn told them. "'We'll take care of him.' Shanley woke instantly. He sat up and swung his legs over the edge of the cot. "'You can have my name and rank,' he said, and his voice no longer quavered. "'My serial number is,' he receded a string of figures, "'and that's all you're getting out of me.' "'We'll get anything we want out of you,' Kahn told him. "'You know what a mind-probe is? You should. Your accomplices used one on my father's secretary.' She's a hopeless imbecile now. You'll be, too, when we're through with you. But before then, you'll have given us everything you know." Kelton began to protest. "'Con, you can't do a thing like that.' "'A mind-probe is utterly illegal. Why, it's a capital offense!' Ledoux exclaimed. "'Con, I forbid you!' "'Judge,' Don't make me call those guards and have you removed, Kahn said. You can stop bluffing, Shanley told him. Where would you get a mind probe? Out of the chief of intelligence's office, here in his headquarters. I should imagine it was to be used in interrogating Alliance prisoners during the war. I think Colonel Zareff would enjoy helping to use it on you. He used to be an Alliance officer. Shanley was silent. Kahn sat down in one of the chairs at the small table. "'General Shanley, would you describe General Fox Travis as a man of honor and integrity? And would you so describe yourself?' Shanley said nothing. "'Yet both of you have lied, deliberately and repeatedly, to conceal the existence of Merlin. And we found that bomb in your room.' You were willing to blow up this headquarters, and everybody, yourself included, in it, to keep us from getting at Merlin. Well, you know that we can make you tell us the truth, maybe when it's too late, and you know that we are going to get Merlin. We're cutting the collapsium off that thing above now." Shanley laughed. "'You're supposed to be a computer man. You think that little thing could be Merlin?' the controls and programming machine for Merlin. He turned to Kurt Fawzi. You always claimed that Merlin was here in Force Command. You had it backward. Force Command is inside Merlin. What do you mean, Con? The walls, the fifty-foot walls, shielded inside and out. Merlin, the circuitry, the memory bank, the relays, everything was installed inside them. What's up above is only what we needed to operate the computer. Isn't that true, General?" Shanley had stopped his derisive laughter. He sat on the edge of the cot, tensing as though for a leap at Kahn's throat. 
That won't help, either. If you try it, we won't shoot you. We'll just overpower you and start mind-probing right away. Now, you feel that suppressing Merlin was worth any sacrifice. We're not unreasonable. If you can convince us that Merlin ought not to be brought to light. Well, you can't do any harm by talking, and you may do some good. You may even accomplish your mission." "'He can't talk us out of it,' Kurt Fawzi seemed determined to spoil things by saying. "'Con, I'm coming around to Clem's way of thinking. They just don't want anybody else to have it.' "'No, we don't,' Shanley said. "'We don't want the whole Federation breaking up into bloody anarchy. And that's what'll happen if you dig that thing up and put it into operation.' Nobody said anything except Fozzy, who began an indignant contradiction and then subsided. Tom Brangwen lit a cigarette. "'Would you mind letting me have one of those?' Shanley said. "'I haven't had a smoke since I came here. It wouldn't have been in character.' Brangwen took one out of the pack, lit it at the tip of his own, and gave it to Shanley with his left hand, his right ready to strike. Shanley laughed in real amusement. "'Oh, brother!' he reproved in his former pious tones. "'You distrust your fellow man. That is a sin!' He rose slowly, the bathrobe flapping at his bare shins, and sat down across the table from Khan. "'All right,' he said. "'I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you the truth, which will be something of a novelty all around.' Shanley puffed for a moment at the cigarette. It must really have tasted good after his long abstinence. You know, we were really caught off balance when the war ended. It even caught Merlin short. Information lag, of course. The whole alliance caved in all at once. Well, we fed Merlin all the data available, and analyzed the situation. Then we did something we really weren't called upon to do because that was policy planning and wasn't our province. But we were going to move an occupation army into System State's planets, and we didn't want to do anything that would embarrass the Federation government later. We fed Merlin every scrap of available information on political and economic conditions everywhere in the Federation, and set up a long-term computation of the general effects of the war. The extrapolation was supposed to run five hundred years in the future. It didn't. It stopped, at a point a trifle over two hundred years from now, with a statement that no computation could be made further, because at that point the Terran Federation would no longer exist. The others, who had taken chairs facing him, looked at him blankly. "'No more Federation?' Judge Ledoux asked incredulously. Why, the Federation! The Federation! The Federation would last forever. Anybody knew that. There just couldn't be no more Federation. That's right, Shanley said. We had trouble believing it, too. Remember, we were Federation officers. The Federation was our religion, just like patriotism used to be back in the days of nationalism. We checked for error. We made detail analysis. We ran it all over again. It was no use. In two hundred years there won't be any Terran Federation. 
the government will collapse slowly. The Space Navy will disintegrate. Planets and systems will lose touch with Terra and with one another. You know what it was like here, just before the war. It will be like that on every planet, even on Terra. Just a slow crumbling, till everything is gone. Then every planet will start sliding back, in isolation, into barbarism." "'Merlin predicted that?' Kurt Fawzi asked, shocked. If Merlin said so, it had to be true. Shanley nodded. So we ran another computation. We added the data of publication of this prognosis. You know, Merlin can't predict what you or I would do under given circumstances. But Merlin can handle large-group behavior with absolute accuracy. If we made public Merlin's prognosis, the end would come, but not in two centuries, but in less than one. And it wouldn't be a slow, peaceful decay. It would be a bomb-type reaction. Rebellions, overthrow of Federation authority, and then revolt and counter-revolt against planetary authority. Division along sectional or class lines on individual planets. Interplanetary wars, what we fought the Alliance to prevent. Left in ignorance of the future, people would go on trying to make do with what they had. But if they found out that the Federation was doomed, everybody would be trying to snatch what they could, and end by smashing everything. Left in ignorance, there might be a planet here and there that would keep enough of the old civilization to serve, in five or so centuries, as a nucleus for a new one. Informed in advance of the doom of the Federation, they would all go down together in the same bloody shambles, and there would be a galactic night of barbarism for no one knows how many thousand years. "'We don't want anything like that to happen,' Tom Brangwen said, in a frightened voice. Then pull everybody out of here and blow the place up, Merlin along with it, Shanley said. No, we'll not do that, Fawzi shouted. I'll shoot the man dead who tries it. Why didn't you people blow Merlin up? Con asked. We built it. We'd worked with it. It was part of us, and we were part of it. We couldn't. Besides, there was a chance that it might survive the Federation. When a new civilization arose, it would be useful. We just sealed it. There were fewer than a hundred of us who knew about it. We all took an oath of secrecy. We spent the rest of our lives trying to suppress any mention of Merlin or the Merlin Project. You have no idea how shocked both General Travis and I were when you told us that the story was still current here on Poitem and when we found out that you'd been getting into the records of the Third Force, I took the next ship I could, a miserable little freighter, and when I landed and found out what was happening, I contacted Murchison and scared the life out of him with stories about a secessionist conspiracy. All this Armageddonist human supremacy, Merlin as the devil stuff that's been going on, was started by Murchison. And he succeeded in scaring Vykoven with the cybernarchists, too. This computation on the future of the Federation is still in the backwork file? Con asked. Shanley nodded. We were criminally reckless, I can see that now. Let me beg, again, that you destroy the whole thing. 
We'll have to talk it over among ourselves, Judge Ledoux said. The five of us here cannot presume to speak for everybody. We will, of course, have to keep you confined. I hope you will understand we cannot accept your parole. Is there anything you want in the meantime? Khan asked. I would like something to smoke, and some clothes, General Shanley said, and a shave and a haircut. End of chapter 20